Well, this morning, uh, with the time that we have left, we're going to jump into James. And uh, we're going to continue on with our, our series that we've been doing all summer long uh, over this book. I encourage you, if you missed weeks throughout this summer, uh, go back online and find them and watch them. Uh, see uh, see the, the, the different the different messages from each week. Think about the different things that uh, we've been ta- talking about that, that James has shared with us. Uh, they've, been, uh, they've been very impactful, and I encourage you to keep reading through James each week. Uh, as we, we've talked about, it takes about 15 minutes. It's a short book, uh, but keep doing that. Uh, we just have a few weeks left of this series uh, as we jump into the fall, but uh, this, has been, this has been a really good time for us, uh, everybody who's had the opportunity to share during this time, and uh, we, we just uh, we have really enjoyed this walking through the book of James with you, and so I just encourage you to continue doing that. The thing that, that we've shared each week about James, uh, so if you've, if you've missed a bunch, if you've had to, to work or travel or do other things and, and, you've, and you've not been here each week, the main point we've shared each week is that a true faith in God leads to action. You cannot have faith in Jesus, have a true faith in Jesus, and not at some point let that impact your life and have that change your attitudes, change how you treat other people, have it, have it lead to you uh, doing things for the kingdom. Uh, if you say that you have faith and then you go and, you're, and there's no actions to follow that up, it's like saying, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes, but I can't tell you one single player that plays for them. I don't have anything that has their logo on it, and I really don't follow their games each week. Well, then that doesn't make me uh, a big fan, does it? Well, action that doesn't come from your faith, uh, that tells us something about your faith. It's not a true faith if it doesn't lead to action. And so that's what, that's what James, the author of this book, has been trying to communicate with us. And we've been, we've been talking about that here each week. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 4, at the very end of James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Uh, and, and I'll be reading from that in just a moment. Uh, but I need to share something with you. And uh, I don't know how this happened. Um, we don't know where exactly the time went, but Gabby and I have a two-year-old. Um, it seems like it was just yesterday or a, even a, a few weeks ago where uh, Gabby was home with a four-day-old four baby, and I came to be a part of church that morning and shared that with you and, and led prayer time in the service, and all of a sudden we blinked. And we celebrated his two-year-old uh, birthday a few, well, been a little bit over a month ago now. And, and just, just this last week, we had his two-year-old doctor's appointment um, where they, you know, like they, they make sure um, he's, he's growing right. And they make sure that, you know, he's, he's starting to speak and get some of those skills down that he's supposed to have. And, and sure enough, Trent has like checked off every box He's starting, to, he's starting to really test his limits and abilities, and in do, so doing, he's testing Gabby and I's limits and abilities. Um, and uh, it, it's just been so funny. We, we have already climbed out of our pack-and-play, and we're really close to doing it with the crib, so a toddler bed's not far off, and we know that that means we're going to be, you know, like strapping him down every night to get him to go to bed. Um, but uh, we, we love Trent. And to see the development, it's just, it's the natural progression of things, isn't it? We, we, we have babies, and then from that moment on, they start to learn 
how to do things independently. Some, it, some, some spurts are slower than others, but they are learning how to be independent people. And, and just last week, uh, after service was over, Trent and I were here in the front of the, the sanctuary, and Trent loved, if you don't know this about my son, Trent loves him a staircase, okay? He wants to go up and down and up and down and up and down. And, and sometimes we, we walk, you know, just like we normally do it. Sometimes we turn around. Sometimes we crawl. Um, I've seen a roll once. Um, but he loves just to go up and down stairs. And last week, he was coming up the stairs, and uh, we, were, we were trying to, you know, get to the door to, to get out, but he was really wanting to do the stairs. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to speed up the exit process, and I'm going to help out. And I came up, and I, and I grabbed his hand, and uh, I, I got this response. No, Dada, Trent do it. <laughs> and at that moment, I knew this is the phrase. This is the phrase that I'm going to hear for the next 16 to 50 years from my son. <laughs> Grammar hopefully will improve. But no, Dada, Trent do it. And he's just gaining that independence. And, and, and like I said, it's, it's, the natural, it's the natural process. We go from being dependent to independent. This morning, what we're going to learn about from James is that the spiritual process is actually backwards. We come to Jesus with um, this independent uh, way about us. We, we, we have been trying to do life on our own. We've been trying to, um, you know, make decisions and, and, and you know, put us in the best places we can, but we realize ultimately that we can't do this. We weren't made to do this without Jesus as a part of our life. And so we move from a, a state of independence to a state of dependence. But what we learn from James today in, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, is that we still have the ability to be independent. And that, uh, that ability to be independent um, is categorized by one word, and that's arrogance. That's not the slide that I put up there. You guys might have to help me in the back. The, 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 uh, the, the name of this state of defiance towards God and this, this tight grip that we try to hold on to, uh, the state of, of independence is arrogance. And what we find out from James and really from the rest of Scripture is that this, uh, this arrogance is something that not only, do, not only does it make God sad, it makes God angry. And we're going to look at some of that this morning. But before we do that, I want us uh, to read James 4, 13 through 17 together, and then we'll dive deeper into it. And this morning, just so you know, I am reading a different translation than we somewhat normally do. It's the New Living Translation. But it goes like this, starting with verse 13. Look here, you say... Today or tomorrow, we are going to go to a certain town, and we will stay there a year. We will do business there, and we will make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. You ought to say, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and such boasting is evil. 
Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. James is writing Christians in the first century. And he's, he's writing to people that already have this relationship with Jesus. So they've already, they've already made the, the, the shift from being independent to starting down the road towards daily dependence. But the problem is they either left part of their life away from God, so they're dependent in these certain areas, but they're not so much over here. They're, you know, it's really hard to let God take take hold of our finances. It's really hard to let God take hold of our jobs, our career path, all those things. It's really hard for us to let God take control of our, our family, of our kids, all these things. James is seeing people, these Christians, these, these believers that are, are, are claiming to be all in to Jesus, but they're holding pieces back. And, they, and they've, they've gone from independence to dependence, but they're, they're kind of then taking that natural, that natural uh, that natural curve back towards independence. And it comes across as spiritual arrogance. And just diving just briefly into some other, other passages of Scripture, we hear some very harsh language used towards arrogance. And this is, these, these are just a few things. In Proverbs 27.1, we read this, Don't brag about tomorrow, since you don't know what the day will bring. Isaiah 2.12 says, For the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and the mighty and will bring down everything that is exalted. Jeremiah 9.23 says, This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. Proverbs 8.13 says, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance corruption, and perverse speech. Proverbs 16.5 says, The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Psalm 10.4 says, The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. That's a powerful one. And when we claim to be a Christian and we go out into the world and we act as if God is dead, Meaning we go about our business and there's some places where we act like God's real, God's alive, God's vibrant. When we come in and worship and we're a part of our small group, uh, when, we, when we go on mission trips and we do this or that, and we, and we act this way and we, we say the right things and we, we, we uh, worship together, we do all these things and, and whatnot. But then, but then we go to work on Monday or we go hang out with our friends uh, or we... Uh, we act certain ways at, at sporting events and different things. We act as if God's not there, as if God's not the Savior of our life. We act as if God is not the Father that's coming along beside us to help us to do an activity that we can't do on our own. And we look at God and it's as if we say, no, God can do it. When we do that, it is so arrogant. It doesn't just break God's heart. The language that we just heard shared in Scripture is pretty harsh towards pride. And I know from being, just being a guy, pride is something that, that we struggle with. We don't want to look like we need help. We don't want to look like we can't do it on our own. Right, guys? 
this is something this is something that we struggle with and it's not just something that we struggle with you know changing a flat tire or getting the oil changed or, or playing a sport it's even harder when it's your family when it's your finances when it's your marriage when it's all of these all of these areas of life for whatever reason we decide in these areas god god's not in control of these i got these god can have this and this but i've got these this is christian arrogance David Nystrom, he's a, he's a theologian. He wrote a commentary, one of the commentaries that I read this week. He said this, To trust one's own devices is foolish in light of the fact that one can trust in God. For whatever reason, we, we serve a God, if we claim to be a Christian, we serve a God who knows tomorrow. But we're foolish enough to think from our own perspective, we, 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 can, we, we look at predictions, right? And we, we think, oh, well, I know what the stock market's going to do, or I have a pretty good idea of what this, what, what this sports team's going to do. I, I have a pretty idea based off of, off of all of my past knowledge that I think I know what's going to happen. But we're serving a God who knows, and we don't. And yet, for whatever reason, we get stuck in Christian pride, and we hold it back from God, and it becomes arrogance. So what do we do about this? Uh, reading on, um, in, for, reading on in, uh, in James 4, starting with uh, verse 14 and, and moving through uh, 15, I like how James says this. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while then it's gone. You ought to say, if, it is the, if this is what the Lord wants us to do we, will do, we will live and do this or that. I love the illustration of fog. I remember when we first moved to Napoleon, Ohio, and Gabby got a job as a teacher, and she woke up one morning in September and said, hey, I don't have to go to school today. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, it's a fog day. And I said, fog day? What is a fog day? And she's like, go look out the window. And so I went, and in our front, in our living room, if you've ever been to the Parsons, you know the front window faces the Episcopal Church across the street. And I remember looking out the window, and you couldn't see the curb on the other side of the street. And I was like, what is this? Where did it, like, it was like San Francisco type fog. And uh, I was like, wow, I guess, yeah, you can't, can't drive in that. I, I, guess, I guess I get it. And then like 10 o'clock rolled around. And the fog was gone. That thick fog that was, was not letting me see across the street was nowhere to be found. And, and my wife and then all the other kids in Napoleon got the day off. And I was like, man, pastors need to work on their fog day, fog day days. But, but James is telling us your life is exactly like that. You think you know. You think you have the ability to look back on history and to know things and be able to predict things and do things. But you really don't. Your life, the, the, in the grand scheme of creation and time from the beginning to the end, your life is like that fog in the morning. It's there at 7. It's gone by 10. And James says, if we would act like that, that Christian arrogance thing wouldn't ever be able to take place. We would never be able to look at God and say, no, God, <laughs> Ken's got this. Because we understand our life is 
is this long in the grand scheme of things. It's the fog in the morning, and it's, and it's not going to be here that long. There's no way I can know everything there is to know, so there's no reason why I should have not to trust the God who does know everything. There's no reason to let Christian arrogance guide, guide my choices and my decision-making. And one, I, I, I like one of the, the authors that I read this week. Uh, he said that this is not God being against planning. Because when you kind of read this and you read it enough, it kind of sounds like, well, God doesn't want me to make plans. God doesn't want me to, you know, to think about my decisions because he's just supposed to take care of everything. That's not what God is saying at all. Uh, but he asks this question. When, w- when was the last time you put something on the calendar and before you wrote it in, you prayed about it? Or when was the last time that you sat down on a Sunday night, opened your, opened your, your, your calendar app on your phone or opened your, your, uh, your calendar, your hard copy calendar that you keep, whatever is your preference, and you just prayed over the week beforehand? When we don't, we, when we leave God out of our plans, that's when we tell God, no, I got it. James is telling Christians in the first century, and he's telling us because we, uh, the, the parallels between what they were dealing with, what we are dealing with, are very, very similar. And James is, is telling us, listen, God wants to be a part of your future. God designed you to be in charge of your future. You should pray about everything that goes on your calendar. You should pray about every meeting you have. You should pray about every conversation you have. You should should include God in all the moments of your life. Les Christie writes this. God's desire for us is to develop daily patterns of trust in friendship with him. This is what the Church of the Nazarene is all about. If you don't know the Church of the Nazarene's main theological point, it's daily holiness, daily devoting your life back to God. And this is, this is, this is the idea, that we would take every part of our life, that we wouldn't allow arrogance to cloud our judgment, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't just say, oh, I know, I know what's going to happen. I understand. I, this last week, uh, one of the nights that I was up and, and was having problems falling asleep, uh, I, I watched the movie Moneyball. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that or not, um, but it's about Billy Bean, who's the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, and he was one of the first GMs in baseball to buy into the fact that you could look at facts and statistics about baseball, and you could build your team not around a superstar, but around people who produce the same amount as these different superstars do. And the re- one of the reasons why he gravitated towards this is because when Billy Bean was coming out of high school and he was becoming a professional athlete, he had scouts sit down at the table and look at him and say, we know that you are going to be the next Babe Ruth. You can, you can throw. You're a five-tool athlete. You can throw. You can hit. You can run. You have great decision-making. You understand the game. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are going to be the next superstar in Major League Baseball. And the Mets drafted him, and he tanked. 
and it sh- the movie does a really good job of showing him sitting in these rooms with all of these scouts, the same, some of the same ones that came and sat down at his table and told him they knew, because of all the knowledge they had of the game, they knew that he would be the next star. And Billy Bean found out that they knew nothing. They had seen things. They were able to make some judgment calls. They knew the game of baseball, but that was really all that they understood is the game of baseball. But he found this other way of getting around the stuff that they thought they knew and just dealing with what they actually did know. And as Christians, God is calling us, don't don't deal with the stuff that you don't know. Deal with the stuff you know. Let me help you in the areas where you fall short. Let me help you in the things, the the future plans, the, the things that you think you know, but you know, Tomorrow might be a completely different day than you expected it to be. And I already know that. And I want to help you. I want to guide you. I want to direct you. So James is so, so frustrated with some of these members of the first century church because they are just so blinded by their own, their own, uh, their own plans, their own... Can you imagine being the two guys that, that James overhears that gets him so fired up to write about this? Like, they, it's like, you know, being in a line at Starbucks and hearing somebody talk about, you know, whatever, and you, you know, like, you go home and you tell your story, I can't believe, like, I heard this today at Starbucks. And, and these, these poor guys stood somewhere close to James and were talking about their plans that they were making, and they ended up in Scripture as the example of what not to do for thousands and thousands of years. The last thing, and as we close, this is kind of the thing I want us to, to think about as we go. Um, James could have used a number of different words, a number of different ways to highlight his point, but he ends with verse 17 by saying, Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. He could have said, you know, it's not really wise for you to, to know what you should do and not do it. You know, he could have softened it a little bit, but James just went straight to the punch. To know what you should do and not to do it, that is sin. We live in a world that doesn't always like to categorize what sin is. They want to soften it. They don't want to hurt your feelings. They don't want to be honest about life and about things. But James says, no, we need, to, we need to be honest about this. To know what you should do and not to do it, that is a sin. And that is, that is Christian pride. And James wants you this morning to embrace the missed life. To understand that, you know what, we don't know. Therefore, we're going to live every day, walk every step with the God who made us, the God who created us, the God who loves us, and wants nothing but good things for you and for me. And this morning, that's my prayer for you, and that's what we're going to, that's the idea that we're going to leave here with this morning, is that God wants to spend every moment of every day with you, and He wants to be a part of your plans. He wants to be a part of your decision-making. He wants you not to walk into the unknown with no idea what's going on. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. Because life is short. We're a fog day. And because we're a fog day, we shouldn't, we shouldn't tell God, no, we got it, because we don't. So this morning, 
in this week, I hope that if, if you don't already do this, that you would, you would carve out time at the beginning of every day and you would pull out your, your schedule and you would just lift everything on it daily up to God. Tell God about the meetings you're having. Tell God about the, the, the family stuff you got planned. Tell God that you got to take your kid to soccer practice. Tell God that, that um, you're struggling with finances and you got to go talk to the bank. Tell God that you know, you're, you're having problems communicating with your spouse and you need, you need help in this area. Tell God that, that you're going to eat dinner as a family that night. Tell, even tell God what you're going to make. God wants to know, God wants to be a part of all the things that you're going to go through in your day. And when we do that, when we make the commitment to do that, there's no possible way that we can be arrogant in what we do. There's no possible way that, that we can frustrate God because we decide to do it on our own. This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to pray as we go. Dear God, this morning we, uh, we come before you and Dear God, we admit that there are, there are times in our life where we're prideful, where we're arrogant, where for whatever reason we withhold things from you. And dear God, this morning we just ask your forgiveness for that. God, the times where we, we forget, maybe that's even the worst part. We're, so, we're, we're, we're further away from you than we think we are, and we just forget to offer up to you what we have going on. Dear God, we pray that you'd be a God who would take care of our finances, that it would take care of our marriage, that would take care of our relationships, the habits, the jobs, the, the things at school, all the things that we deal with and face on a day-to-day -day basis. Dear God, take control of those. May we not be the person that says, no, I've got it. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us through our pride. Thank you uh, for not giving up on us. Dear God, we love you today. And we just ask that you be with us as we go and be the God of our future. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. You are dismissed.